Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. to be at church today. Man, I'm so glad to be with you, everybody. Uh, Man, it's so good to be with you here today. And can we welcome the people who are with us on Facebook Live and online today? We're grateful for you as well. And we just want to say, hey, if you're watching online, we love you. You're part of our family. We want to make an invitation to you. Come join us. Move from a digital experience to the analog church experience. Everybody here loves you, and we'd love to meet you. And so um, we are in a series called Don't Judge Me. Who wants to admit that that's you when you go bowling? Anybody here? Okay, so a few of you in the room. Judgment-free zone. That's me every single time I go bowling. Before we get into the conversation here uh, today, I want to just let you know today is baptism Uh, Sunday. And so once a month, we fill up the tank and we just give you an opportunity. If you're a Christian and you've never been baptized, we believe that this is your first step of obedience to Jesus, to go public with your faith and say, hey, I'm not ashamed of the God that's not ashamed of me. And so I want to let people know that he's changed me and given me a new life. And so if you've never been baptized, or maybe you were baptized as an infant and you didn't make that decision for yourself, and today maybe is your day. We would love to get you baptized. We have shirts and shorts. And, and hair dryers in the bathroom for you ladies and everything you need and for you guys. I mean, you got to take the, you know, get the hair in order. And so wherever you're at, we would just love to help you take that next step. We baptized six people on Wednesday night. Praise God for that. Love that. So if that's you here today, we would love to encourage you to take that next step. And so uh, this whole series that we're walking through, or it's really just two weeks talking about judgment. And, and I asked you last week, I just want to ask you again, has anybody here ever felt judged before? Anybody here? Okay. Everybody in the room has felt judged before. And I'm not going to do a show of hands, but probably everybody here would say, I have judged someone else before. I've been guilty of being the judge. And, and so in the church, we just said that um, this is a place that a lot of people feel is a place of judgment which is really sad, right? 
I mean, that's the exact opposite of what the church should be as a people covered by uh, the grace of Jesus. When our friends and neighbors come into the church or spend time with Christians, it should feel like the grace of Jesus. And yet for most people, many people in our community, they would say the number one reason I don't want to be a Christian is I don't like to be judged. The number one reason I don't go to church on Sunday is I don't want to be judged. And so uh, for for you, wherever you're at here today, I just want you to know that uh, this is a judgment-free zone. This is a place where wherever you've come from, if, uh, wherever you're at on the journey, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've been a Christian for years, or maybe you're not yet a Christian, we really truly believe that you don't have to believe to belong here. You can be part of our community, and we want you to be part of the family because we're all on a journey. Uh, We've all gone through some really probably terrible things and beautiful things in life that have gotten us to where we are today, and we're all simply taking our next steps together. And so this big sign on the front of the building, don't miss it when you walk in. We truly believe that we're in this together, and we believe that that's how God wants us to live. And so we're going to walk into the next part of this. Last week, we talked about essentially how not to judge, right? How not to judge. This week, we're, we're talking about how to judge. And that may seem a little strange in church. Like, is the pastor telling us to be judgmental? No, I'm not. Uh, so hold on, buckle up. We're going to talk about what we really mean by what does it mean to judge well in the world today. So would you stand in honor of God's word? I just want to read this text. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll get into this. This is Luke chapter 15. We see Jesus telling a story. Jesus loved to tell stories, and his stories, they cut right to our hearts. And here's what he says. It says, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you uh, for your word to us today. God, we need to be changed and challenged by your spirit. So Father, we acknowledge that you're here in this place, that you are real and that you love us. So I just pray you'd pour out your grace on this house today. God, I pray for the person who feels like they don't belong, that today they would feel like part of the family. God, we know that none of us deserve to be here. God, none of us deserve to be in your family, yet by your lavish grace that you pour out on us, we can stand in confidence today that we are changed by the God who would die for us. You've given us a new life. You've given us a family to be a part of. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So start with a couple of questions here today. Uh, here's the question to start. Have you ever paid the price of avoiding the truth? You ever had like, you know, seen like a little bit of mold in the ceiling of your house and been like, I don't even want to look into it, right? Because I know when I peel it back, it's going to be terrible. So I'm just going to act like I never saw maybe paint over it, right? That's just going to go away, right? That problem's just going to go away. Have you ever had a situation where you just, you didn't lean in, you didn't deal with the issue, and it blew up in your face? But most of us would say we have. How about this? Has someone else ever paid the price for you avoiding the truth, where you should have been honest. You should have told them what was true about them or about a situation, and you didn't do it because you didn't want to risk the relationship. You didn't want it to get weird, right? 
You didn't want to come on too strong or, or feel judgmental of them. And so you just kept your distance and you watched their life explode. And maybe somebody else has paid the price. Here's maybe a stupid, simple example, right? So somebody else, somebody got church today, right? And you look them in the eye here as they come into the lobby, and they got like a big old, you know, chunk of McMuffins sticking out of their, 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 their teeth here at church this morning, and you don't say a word, right? Because you don't want to make it weird. Or you just met them for the first time, and they go all Sunday morning, and nobody says anything. And they go home from church, and they look in the mirror, and they say, nobody at my church loves me. Because no one said that I had stuff in my teeth, right? Clearly, nobody loves me enough to be honest with me. Maybe you've been in a situation where someone has been honest. And although it hurt and maybe you didn't want to hear it in the beginning and you, you, you fought against it at first, then you realize that was the most loving thing someone's ever done for you, is to simply tell you the truth, to be honest with you. We're talking about two different definitions of judgment here in the past uh, two weeks. The, the first definition last week was this, a judicial determination of guilt. And so this type of judgment, we said, this is not our job. We have a God who is a good judge, right? I mean, none of us really love the idea of standing before any kind of judge because we know who we are, right? And imagine a judge that knows everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done, and wherever you've been in life. That judge is our God, and that God wants to give you grace. That God wants to offer you acceptance and forgiveness through the blood of Christ. And so that is God's job, and so the tendency can be to assume that position of God. This is a wrong type of judgment, okay? So this is not something the church was meant to do, not something you or I are meant to do. God is judge. We are not. Amen? Okay, so let's begin there. The next definition of judgment is this, a determination of right and wrong in order to care for ourselves and others. So another word for that is discernment. And this type of judgment is extremely important if you plan on loving anyone or even loving yourself is that at some point, there is a determination of what is good, what is bad, what is right and wrong that we need to call out so that we might help and care for ourselves and other, other people. In fact, Jesus tells us that we should do this, okay? So Jesus tells us in John seven twenty four. he says, first, do not judge by appearances, which we talked last week about that. Like, we don't see people's whole story. That's the problem. We don't know where they've come from. We don't know where they're going. We have a little uh, bit of their story, and yet we think they can, we can make a judgment on their life. And that's a, that's a dangerous thing to do. And, and so we said, we can't do that. Don't judge by appearances, but Jesus says, judge with right judgment. Okay, so Jesus just told you to judge. What are we going to do with that? Uh, sometimes the Bible's like that, isn't it? Where you read something and you think you understand it and then you read something else and it sounds like it completely contradicts the first part. Like, what is being said here? Should we judge? Should we not judge? And so today we're gonna talk about right judgment, that there is a right judgment that we must walk in to love one another. So this right judgment that Jesus brings up, I wanna define the two words. First, the word judgment, we said last week is the word, the Greek word krino, that means to, to separate, Right? And we said we shouldn't separate people like, like we're separated from you because we all need God's grace equally. And yet at the same time, there is a separation between good and evil, what is right and what is wrong. So that is judgment, but then Jesus calls it right judgment. Jesus doesn't say that you should just judge. He says there is a right sort of judgment. This word right is the word righteous. 
Like a godly sort of judgment. Maybe another way of defining it would be that you are to judge what's going on, what you see, based on what God sees. A righteous sort of judgment. I think what Jesus is saying here is that at some point, it's actually good to call something bad. Can we agree that there is evil in the world, just in this room? Do you think that uh, even in this eclectic room that we have, people from a lot of different backgrounds, that there would be certain things that we would say together, that's wrong, right? Because in the world that we live in, it's not so clear, right? Because what we, what we keep hearing is, hey, you do you, I'll do me, whatever you want to do, as long as it doesn't hurt me, then you do your thing and I'll do my thing. There is no right and wrong, right? And we've even seen this, this ongoing progression culturally where things 20, 30, 50, 100 years ago that were called completely evil are not evil today, We've even seen things where things a hundred years ago were not evil, and now today we say they are, right? And so there's, there's things that we would say, there's, there's this progression, and it's always changing, and, and nobody really knows what's right and what's wrong, yet at the same time, there are things that need to be called out as evil. And honestly, if we don't, that means we're not loving people well. You actually can't love people well without at some point saying, that's not okay. That's not, that's not helpful to you or helpful to others. Kind of an example that popped on my radar this week as I was on social media. Um, there's a petition floating around on social media to shut down this multi-million dollar porn site. Um, which many of you might have seen that or signed the petition before. And what had happened is they'd seen some underage content that, that came on uh, this site, right? And then there was this, uh, this contribution in the site to human trafficking, which culturally the world around us says, this is wrong. And the church should say, amen, right? We say that is wrong. It's evil. Shut it down. Let's see that happen, Right? And yet, at the same time, I'm thinking through this. And okay, okay, so there's underage content. Pornography has always contributed to human trafficking. This isn't the first time. All of it does contribute to it. Uh, the church has been saying that for years, right? Uh, human traffic, people who study human trafficking have, have been saying that for years. And so you look at this and you're like, why are we calling it out now? Why, why is it now a big deal? And even the idea that someone can be on this site as an underage person And we'd say, that's an outrage, it's evil, it's wrong, and then they can have a birthday, and the very next day we're like, it's all good. It's like we've put an age limit on abuse. We're like, it's it's okay for you to be devalued as a human being yesterday, or or today, but it wasn't okay yesterday. And there's this weird thing where we go, how does all of this work? I mean, are there not things that we're like, it's just not okay, it's not helping us and helping other people to thrive, I think one of the issues that um, we run into is sometimes we let legality determine morality. We'd say, well, if it's legal, it's okay. Can I just tell you that's terrible advice? Um, there's a lot of legal things that you can do to destroy your life, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your relationships, to destroy yourself. And it's totally legal. Nobody can throw you in prison for it. So this idea that if it's legal, it's okay. We, we as the church first should be like that. That cannot be our standard of what's good and bad, right? Whatever's determined by the court system cannot be our standard of what's right and wrong. We need something different. And certainly legality should not define what's best. Because our goal in life is not simply to live and to do what's legal, right? And to avoid the wrong things. Our goal in life, my goal in life is to do what's best. I want the best life, don't you? 
right? I want the best things for, I don't want just a family. <laughs> like, you know, kids finally turn 18, they go out of the house and I'm like, well, I didn't kill them, right? They lived, I fed them. Nobody hauled them off, you know, OCS didn't show up and haul my children off. So I'm good, right? You'd be like, bro, that does not mean you're, you're killing it as a parent, right? There's, there's more to it than they just, they, they survived, right? For us as people, we want to thrive. We want to we live. We want to go after the very best that God has for us, for our church, for our families, for our, our friends. And if we love someone and we see them settling for less, we're going we're gonna to walk in that with them, right? We're going we're gonna to lean in because we love them so much. We want something better for them. And so um, here's a statement. I, I just kind of, I didn't know how to really concisely talk about this, the, the two kinds of judgment and, and what we're called to do. So I just wrote down like, here's my statement to ACF Church on judgment. So you ready? Here it is. I spent, I spent a little time on this. So here we go. I, I really believe this. I believe that from a posture of love and humility... We are to use our influence to fight for justice in the world, Christ's likeness in the church, and salvation for the lost. Amen? Justice in the world, Christ's likeness in the church, and salvation for the lost. That is the type of judgment that we should fight for. That, that, when we see that people are lost and, and, and hurting, that we lean in and we want to fight for justice in the world, the things we see that we're like, that's just plain wrong. We want to see Christians walk into what's best for them, and we want to see lost people found, right? And the the difference between these two types of judgment, right judgment and wrong judgment, is this. Wrong judgment is when we assume the position of God. But right judgment is when we assume God's position. Do you see the difference? See, wrong judgment is like, I'm going to assume the position of God, which, once again, let me tell you, you are terrible gods, right? I'm a terrible God. And so wrong judgment is, I'm going to assume the position of God, but right judgment is, I'm going to assume God's position. What does God think of this? Whatever it is that's coming at you, to filter it through that, what do the scriptures say, right? What does God say about humanity? Does this align with that? Or does does this conflict with that? And that is going to be my determination of what is good and evil in the world, right? We need that because, you guys, listen, you're going to walk out of church today and there's going to be so much content thrown at you. Through, I mean, you're one swipe away from all kinds of different worldviews. And at some point, we have to think critically of what's being thrown at us and go, is this really okay? I mean, does, does cultural acceptance really define what I think is right and good for humanity? Oh God, I hope not, right? I hope not. I hope we need, we have something else that determines what is right and what it's not. So here's the big idea for the day. Uh, right judgment is about inviting people into God's best for them. That's what we want to do as a church. That's what we want to do as friends is to invite people into what is, is best, what God's best is for them. And I think here's kind of the problem is, in general, we are really good at, at calling people out, right? Have you ever said that? I'm going to call that out. I'm going to call that person out, right? I'm going to call that issue out. I think we're really good at people calling, uh, calling people out of something. We're not so good at calling them into something. And see, the Bible and, and Christianity isn't simply a, a list of rights and, and wrongs and, and, and a, a rule list for life. God is giving us a vision for human flourishing. And so our goal, our job as Christians is to invite people into God's very best for them. And this is the opposite of what sin is. 
Sin could be defined as settling for less than what God says is best. That's sin. Anytime we settle for less than what God says is best, we are walking in sin. And so we want to walk people into what's best for them. That is right judgment going, hey, what you're doing is hurting yourself. It's not God's best for you. I want to invite you into something better. And if that was your actual heart, would people not be more receptive to that? Right? I mean, isn't it, isn't it true that maybe when you felt most judged, it's not been an invitation into something better. It's been simply a judicial determination of your guilt from someone else. And you said, that doesn't feel good. I, I don't really like how that feels. It, it doesn't take me anymore. It leaves me in shame. That's where it leaves me. But I, I just, I'm so grateful that Jesus doesn't leave us in our shame. That he has a vision for our lives. And so here's the question. What does this right judgment look like as we interact with the church? Because this is going to look different with the church and it's going to look different with the world, with people who are unchurched or not part of the family of God. And so how do we call believers into what God says is best for them? So 1 Peter 1 says this. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Kind of harsh, but okay, right? Like we've all been ignorant before. We've all walked in things that uh, we shouldn't have because we weren't completely uh, understanding what was going on. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now what is holiness? A very basic definition, most of you have maybe heard this before, is holiness means to be set apart. Set apart. Okay? Okay. Now, when I read that, like, I'm being called to be holy, I'll tell you, I didn't get that excited about it. Like, when I read that text, okay, uh, be holy as God is holy. I wasn't like, woohoo, holiness, right? I don't know if you were brushing your teeth this morning, getting ready for church, like, I get to be holy today, right? Can we just acknowledge that that word maybe doesn't bring up a whole lot of excitement for many of us? And my, my question is why, because it's, it's clearly a, a very important part. Uh, of the life of a believer, right? Why doesn't it bring up excitement? I think part of the reason is that we've misunderstood what holy means, right? Like for many people, when they hear holy, they think holier than thou, right? Oh, so I'm supposed to make myself, you know, better than, than other people in a way that I would look down upon them, right? So, so this idea of holiness doesn't sound that exciting. I, we, hear, we hear the word set apart and we think set on high, Right? Oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to set myself on high and, and become holier than thou. This is not the call of a Christian when we're called to holiness. Holiness, I mean, we read it in Galatians 5. This is what the life of someone who's holy looks like. Somebody uh, who's, who's loving and joyful and gracious and kind, right? The fruit of the Spirit, compassionate, goodness. All of the fruit of the Spirit are the life of someone who's walking in holiness, and if somebody was loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, would we not say that person's killing it right now, right? And would we not want that kind of life? Of course we would. And so as we're called to be holy and trying to help other people be holy, we're walking them and ourselves into what's best for us, the fruit of the Spirit. It's something we should be able to get excited about, right? And I think part of the issue, too, is, is our holiness needs a purpose, when we just think of, well, I'm just supposed to, you know, manage my morals and become a good person, and is that what it means to be a Christian? That's, no, that's not the point. 
You see, your holiness, God changing your heart to become more like Christ has to have a purpose. If it doesn't have a purpose, what you're walking in is religion. An empty religion is something that nobody here gets excited about. I hope not. If you do, you have a problem, right? That should not be something that excites you. I'll tell you, I see two kinds of churches today I want to talk about real quick. The first kind of church I would call the inward-focused church. And the inward-focused church, when it comes to holiness, says this, I want to change to make my life better. I want to be a better person. And so I don't know why you came to church today, what your purpose was. Um, Maybe it was because you wanted to make your life better. So you come back to church every week hoping to make your life better, to kick the habit, to help the marriage. I mean, because you want to win at life that you try to pursue these things. So God, change me to make my life better. Then there's also what I would call the missional church. And the missional church says this, I want to change to love others better. My holiness has a purpose. My holiness has an outlet. There's actually a reason that I'm pursuing holiness so that I might love other people. In the missional church, we gather together to stir up our affections for the world, and then we leave and we go on mission. And so between those two churches, one of them uh, is dying today. One of them, they're closing their doors left and right. People are walking away from the inward-focused church, but the missional church is exploding. And what I mean by that is just missional people who gather together on a consistent basis and then go after God's best for them. That church is growing. That church has a mission. That church is letting God change them so that they might love other people. You see, here's the thing. Um, When we get saved, which I don't know, maybe you've been a Christian for many, many years, or maybe you um, more recently prayed to follow Jesus, there's a realization of our sin, right? That's the first step. We realize something's wrong in our hearts, right? We'd say there's something not quite right. And we go to Jesus and we start to understand that he has something better for us. And so, in fact, uh, we read that that the, the heart is desperately sick, right? The heart is desperately sick. It's like this sin is like, it's like an effect, infection, right? It's like a disease that we have. And then all of a sudden we encounter Jesus and he heals us. And we're like, man, this is awesome. It's, it's amazing when you, when you look back and you're like, I was so sick, I had no idea. And now I'm healed by Jesus. Now here's kind of what happens. We get healed by Jesus and then we go straight to, to Walmart and we get one of these, right? Because we're like, oh man, I don't want to do that again right? And we throw on, so I was in the airport the other day, and these were everywhere, right? Um, and, and I'd walk by people, and they're, they're like, they're wearing these, and they're kind of looking at me, and I, I just felt dirty, right? I felt like, I'm like, is it, is it me? Am I the sickness, right? Maybe I'm infected with something. Like, am I the, the person that's, that's making you wear that mask? And it's funny, like, how it makes you feel when everybody's walking around wearing one of these, Right? And I wonder if this is how our non-Christian friends feel when they encounter the church. If it's like, if it's like oh, we, we, we get, got the mask on and we're like, oh no, we love people. We love you. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, come to church. We're so great. And they're like, oh, is it, oh man, like there's this feeling of, of separation and, and even a, a fear within the church that the dirtiness of their sin might get on us and our kids. So we're like, everybody put your masks on. You're going to school today. Everybody put, you know, and so then our friends and our neighbors, they feel that, right? They feel that sense of of fear and of separation. And Jesus says this in John 17. He says, I do not ask that you take them, being the church, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
Do you know you can be kept from the evil one, protected from the evil one? And even though maybe there's been fear, right? Maybe there's been this struggle. At the same time, we're called into the world. And when our eyes are open, we realize all the more that the world is lost and in need of a savior. And God wants to use his church to tell them about his good grace. Instead, we, we throw the mask on and, and then maybe we run around and we're like, hey, let's go serve at the soup kitchen and be Jesus today. We're like, oh, let's, uh, let's go downtown. We'll, you know, we'll help some, help some homeless people, give them food this, today. Like a little bit of that, a little bit of Jesus, right? Or, or maybe, you know, every year we do this thing called Impact Eagle River. We spend a day, we serve our community, we go out, we rake in yards, and we change the oil for single parents and foster families. We do all this really good stuff, and we're like, hey, here's a little Jesus. Do you think our friends who are on the other side of that, do you think that feels a little weird at some point? And, and once again, we do those things, and we do them with boldness because we believe that's what the love of Jesus looks like. But if that's all we did in a year, I want you to know that seems a little fake at some point. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, which is known as the love passage, it, it says this. Basically, the idea is when we're going to worship here in a few minutes, right? We're going to sing to Jesus. And it says that basically when we sing to God, if we don't love him and love the world, it's like our, our words and our songs are like fingernails on a chalkboard to God. It's like he's like, oh, it's terrible, right? You're like, I have no pitch, so it's always terrible. But that's not what God cares about. It turns out your pitch doesn't matter, but your love does. Your love's kind of all that matters when it comes to praising God. If you don't love God and love those who were created in his image, God's like, oh, it's just brutal. Shut it off. And friends, I never want to be that church. I never want to be that person. That when I sing to God, God's like, you sing these things, but you have no love for your neighbor. You have no love for the lost. You see, the idea of being set apart, like we know as Christians, we're to be set apart, right? Set apart. It's the idea of being holy. But the idea here is that you're not simply set apart from the world, that we're set apart for the world, friends. Set apart for the world. That's why we're changed. That's why we want to be holy is for the world, John three seventeen. for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay? So for God, here was God's judgment on the world. Here was Jesus' judgment on the world. The world, you are lost. We are hopeless. We cannot fix ourselves. We can't heal ourselves. There's not enough good that we can do in a lifetime that we would stand before God and God would be impressed by it. And God said, our relationship is broken. They became judge, and they've judged poorly. And so my judgment of them is going to lead to a rescue mission. My judgment of the world is going to lead to taking on flesh, being born in a, in a manger, riding in a town on a donkey, right? Not like a king, but like someone who's lowly. This idea that Jesus was made lowly, a servant to humanity, Ultimately, to die on a cross for us. See, God's judgment led to a rescue mission. How could our judgment lead to anything less? And so for us as the church, I want to talk about what this looks like from this story in Luke chapter 15. If you want to open up to that text, you can join along uh, with me. And I wanted to read the beginning of Luke 15 because I think it gives some context for the conversation that's happening here uh, between Jesus and this crowd. 
think we forget that these are real people and a real situation that Jesus is teaching into. And um, I don't think I have it on the screen, but I'm going to read this. This is in the message translation. It says, by this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus. Which I love that, right? I'm like, that's the kind of church I want. Like, hey, what kind of church is ACF? It's, it's full of people with doubtful reputations. It's not you, I'm sure. It's your friend. It's the person next to you, right? But that's, I love that. Like, it's a, it's a group of people with doubtful reputations. It says, they're listening intently. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. And so think about that. What kind of church is ACF? Well, it's, it's a place full of people of doubtful reputation. The kind of place that does not please the religious. Religious people walk in and they go, ah, no, I don't like this at all, right? I like that church. That's the kind of church we want to be, right? Luke 15, 3 says, so he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, that's, by the way, a lot of sheep. A lot of times they'd have 30, maybe 50 sheep. This is a lot of sheep. Uh, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. So the first thing I want us to realize is that when we judge rightly, we will seek the lost with intensity. There's this intensity about seeking what is lost. I don't know for you um, what it is that you go after when it's lost with a certain intensity. How, maybe it's your phone, right? This is how I am. If I can't find my phone, I'm freaking out for the next 24 hours. I got to find it. I don't know. Where, maybe it's your wallet. Maybe it's like the Roku remote, right? Someone stole the remote control and you're just like, the cushions are out of the couch, right? You got things tipped up. You're pulling up the carpet, right? You're going to do anything to find that remote control, right? What's lost must be found. This is the, the intensity, maybe just maybe even a, a small way of describing the intensity that God has when he sees one lost person. He's like, that person must be found. So what is it that you would go after like that? I want you to compare that to the intensity that you go after the lost. That you talk with them, that you spend time with them, that you build relationships with with them, that you invite them to church. What kind of intensity do you go after those who are lost? He says, there's a shepherd, and that shepherd freaks out when one sheep is missing. Verse 5, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So the second thing is, when we judge rightly, we will carry those that are broken. So first, it makes us seek after them because they're lost, right? We're judging rightly. We're saying, the world needs Jesus. That's the judgment I'm talking about. The world is desperately sick without Christ. The world needs salvation. The world needs to see grace. And so I'm going to seek after them with intensity. And then when I find them, they're probably a little beat up. Like, like when you found Jesus, were you a little beat up? You're like, I'm still a little beat up. And that's okay, too. But maybe when you found Jesus, you were like, you're kind of beat up. Like a lost sheep, right? I've been wandering around. I don't know, like falling into rivers and tripping over rocks and, you know, getting chased by wolves a little bit, you know, and they're tired out and worn out and got a couple, you know, nip marks on their, on their heels. And then you find them and there's some, there's some binding up of the brokenhearted that happens when Jesus finds someone. And so for us as God's church, we're going to see the lost. We're going to look for them and then we're going to carry those that are broken, right? We're going to do whatever we can to see them healed. 
And then Luke 15, 7 says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. See, when we judge rightly, we will bring life to the party. I mean, there's going to be a celebration. So first we seek with intensity, then we, we bind up the broken, we carry the broken, and then we bring life to the party because when someone was lost and now they're found, there's a celebration. And if you go on to read, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, right? The, the woman with a lost coin. And e- each story, there's something that was lost, something that was found, and then there was a party thrown, celebration because of it. I wonder for you, what do you celebrate? What do you get excited about? What is it that you scream about, right? Is it when someone who is lost is found? Because it turns out that that's the kind of party they throw in heaven. Is when someone who is lost is found, there's a celebration in heaven. And so for us as a church, this is the intensity that we want to live for the one. This is the intensity we want to live for our lost friends and neighbors. And this is why we keep track of everything we do. We've said this, like, we count you, just so you know. We take attendance every week. Like, not with your name. Like, is Bill at church? Like, we don't keep, we're not going to send the elders to your house. But listen, we count who's here. And we say this, that like we count everyone because everyone counts. When you're not here, we miss you. We're missing something when you're not here. And the same is true about our unsaved friends and neighbors. We're missing something because they're not here. And what if we went after those one, that, that one person like we were the only one that God was calling to do it? What if we went after people like, like nobody else is going to do it. It's my job. God is, God is partnering with me to see that person come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so it's time that we started seeing the value in the one, you guys. I mean, every single one in this room should have at least one person that you're like, man, I want them to find Jesus. And I'm doing everything that I can to help them maybe come to church on a Sunday, maybe just have some conversations with my friends. I am showing them Christ with intensity because I know that they're lost and I can't stand the thought that they wouldn't be found, right? I mean, it's time that we believe that Jesus wants to save. It's time we care about the one. And here's kind of my crazy church math. Can we put that up here? We believe that one is greater than the 99. One is greater than the 99. And and just so you know, this is how we will unapologetically operate as a church. Is that as a pastor, if I get this flipped around, what I'm going to believe is that it's my job to keep the sheep happy and well-fed. Right? Like as long as you guys like me, laugh a little bit in church on Sunday, come back the next week, then I've done my job. If I do that, if I lead you in that way, at the expense of the one, I have failed you. And so I'm going to do everything that I can to call that out of you. And for you as a, as a community, all of us together, it's our job to believe this, that church isn't about showing up and being comfortable. It's about getting together and stirring up our affections for our lost friends and neighbors and going out and being Jesus to the world. Amen? And that's why we exist. And so would you grab your action card off your seat here? Um, This is something that we do as a church. We want to take next steps together. And so every week we want to fill these out and drop these in the offering at the end of church. And um, we'd love to text you just a little encouragement this week on how to move forward in this one area. Um, Once again, if if you don't do anything with this service um, or with this message, then you've wasted an hour of your life. So we'd rather not see that. Maybe your first step is just to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time. If you've never done that, would you just check that box today and say, man, today is the day 
that I believe that God isn't standing at a distance, but he's a God who's intimate. He's in the mess with us, and he wants to, wants to meet me right where I'm at. Maybe you need to have a tough conversation with someone you love. I mean, if you're honest, you haven't been honest. And you need to be. So maybe this week you're going to have that hard conversation. You're going to get real with somebody and say, hey, I'm not just calling you out. I'm calling you into something better. I believe that God has something for your marriage, something for your life, something for you as a person. And I want to invite you into it. Maybe you would risk comfort to invite some friends to church. When's the last time that you just went after your friends and said, hey, we have this community that's a judgment-free zone. That's a group of people that are all on this journey together to understand Jesus and we enjoy each other. We have fun together. And and I found that there's purpose found in Christ Jesus. And so so what if you would would go after people and and, and with with an excitement and an intensity, risk the comfort of like, I don't want to make it awkward. And instead... Invite them to church. And maybe for you, today is your day to get baptized. And if that's you, I want to invite you to do that. Uh, You can walk out of this room at any point and just go back to the lobby and um, check in there. And if today's your day, we'd love to help you go public with your faith. So um, would you stand up? I'd love to pray for us as we move on today. God, we just acknowledge that none of us deserve to be here. And yet we can stand confidently covered in the blood of Christ. God, thank you that you love us. God, thank you that you didn't ask us to change before you'd love us. You just said that you love us. And you went to great lengths to to show that and display that love to us. So God, I pray that you would remind us of that today, God, for all of us who are believers, that we'd be reminded of the intensity of your love for us and how desperately you want to seek after what was lost. And God, that same intensity, Father, I pray you'd fill our hearts with that intensity for the world around us. That Eagle River would not be able to deny that the church desperately loves them. I mean, that people might be able to deny you, to deny the truth, that they deny the fact that they're lost. But God, I pray something that would be undeniable in our city is that the church loves them. So show us what our role is in that. Thank you, God, for your grace. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.